You're listening to Leverage. To Leverage. To Leverage. An ASA Studios production. Hi, everyone. I'm Leanne Clark Shirley with the American Society on Aging. And today I'm joined by Dr. Maddie Shea and Aaron Tripp. Uh, Maddie is a principal at Health Management Associates, and Aaron is a senior consultant there as well. They've written a new issue brief for the Millbank Memorial Fund, which outlines strategic approaches to use American Rescue Plan Act funds for um, in order to support older adults in the community. And we're going to talk about that today. Welcome to Leverage, Maddie and Aaron. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here, Leanne. Thank you. Hi, everybody. So when it comes to the American Rescue Plan, or ARPA, um, a lot of people are familiar with the vaccination program for COVID-19, with the stimulus checks, with unemployment insurance provisions, but there's also some significant resources committed to supporting older folks who want to live in the community, um, as some of our listeners might know. Uh, So Aaron and Maddie, give us a sense of the magnitude of funding that's available to support and to benefit older adults. So it's a little bit of a tricky answer. So overall, um, ARPA was $1.9 trillion. So a gigantic investment um, that, that touches on sort of all aspects of the community. There are both direct specific provisions that that are targeted towards supporting older adults. Um, Things like the enhanced um, HCVS FMAP. You know, people have some different estimates. That's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 billion to states over the next three years. Um, There was specific funding for Older Americans Act programming. So there's about 500 million going to HCBS for Older Americans Act. Um, there was about $450 million going to sort of targeted nursing home um, uh, relief programs with, with all of the challenges that nursing homes have faced. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also other uh, family caregiver dollars that, that can impact older adults. Ah. Aside from the healthcare piece, um, there's a number of housing provisions. While not most of those housing provisions aren't explicitly uh, related to older adults, but there is a whole lot of housing support that could um, benefit older adults who are trying to remain um, in their homes and their communities. And also um, probably one of the the bigger um, question marks and opportunities is the $350 billion that's going to state and local government. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The direction that Treasury gave on how those dollars could be spent is, is pretty broad. So there's also opportunity for um, different government units to be creative in, in how they wanna spend that dollar, those dollars. And that might be able to benefit um, older adults and their families as well. So it's, it's you know, certainly a, a, a generational impact that we haven't, we haven't seen before. Yeah, those are some serious dollars. Um, all right, well, so let's talk about uh, some of the provisions that you just outlined. Um, Aaron, as you mentioned, Medicaid-funded home and community-based services, we know those as very critical components of our country's system of long-term services and supports. Uh, that's largely what um, allows people who qualify for Medicaid to stay in the community and stay out of nursing homes. 
So let's start there. How would ARPA shore up uh, Medicaid home and community-based services? Yeah, great question. So a lot of people have heard about the enhanced funding, but there's um, there's a lot that, that um, has to play out with what does that mean? So essentially states are able to estimate how much they were gonna spend in a one year period and get that 10% bump on top of that. And to do that, they, they have to submit a plan. So um, all states at this point have put in their initial spending plan. Um, and they are, there's a lot of information in there, um, but it's still at a pretty high level. Um, but what states were required to do is they have to use the dollars to either implement or supplement the implementation of activities to enhance, expand, or strengthen Medicaid ACBS. So they can't use these dollars to offset what they would have done. This has to be things that are above and beyond what they have been doing. Mm. Um, there's been, you know, there's certainly a lot of similarities, um, even with state-specific nuances, but some of the categories that, that are pretty common that we've seen from the initial round of plans include expanding um, HCBS services, um, there's been a lot related to provider payment increases. Mm. Um, some of that is to, to, you know, specific to be able to support providers. Some of it's also been targeted to support the direct care workforce, um, which I think we might talk about a little bit more detail um, um, later on. Um, there's also been an emphasis around uh, technology, whether that's technology for providers, technology for state agencies. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of states are trying to look, take the opportunity to, um, besides providing direct relief quickly, to try to be a, a little bit strategic and think of other studies or plans that they can do to, to ensure that these dollars, um, the impact outlives the sort of three year period in which they have to spend those dollars. Um, so we're going to see a, a lot of different initiatives begin to, um, begin to uh, implement probably later on this year. Later on this year. Yeah, that's exciting. I can imagine it must be an exciting time to be working in the state and local entities. It's, yeah. That's great. So in your issue brief, uh, you point out that increased Medicaid dollars um, isn't the only provision. You've, you've mentioned some of those, you've previewed those already. Um, Medicaid dollars aren't the only provision that could stand to benefit older people. So Talk about some of the provisions that you think are particularly important for this puzzle. Yeah, um, Leanne, there really are. Um, this is why we're so excited about the report because the opportunity for braiding funding that is not just going to Medicaid, but also to housing and um, infrastructure, um, uh, the um, funding through the Older Americans Act program. So, you know, the Departments of Aging in states, you know, can support increased accessibility for mm -hmm. um, older Americans to tra public transit. And we know that's a huge issue in a lot of the country. Um, mm -hmm. Caregiver supports, um, prevention and wellness and care coordination services that are really needed to help people to live independently, 
um, technical assistance. For We sometimes forget that a lot of caregivers out there is a big caregiver piece to this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of caregivers for older Americans as well as children are actually older Americans themselves. True. So there's a lot there for that population. And in housing, um, increasing access to housing vouchers um, to um, make housing more affordable, that could be directed to older Americans. Um, and um, internet access, we know, and we'll probably talk more about this, but there's a huge digital divide um, in many ways um, among uh, low-income communities, but very much so for older Americans. Mm -hmm. So um, there's resources there to kind of redress that problem. Uh, Increasing home modifications. So we've seen Medicaid waivers from states over the past few years that looked at making housing more um, safe um, and really reducing barriers to getting into housing, to staying in housing, and to being in housing that's safe when mobility needs might have changed, mm-hmm. um, accessibility might have changed. So there's money for all of that, um, which is really new because a lot of states aren't doing much in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and the local um, you know, money that's being targeted to locals, to counties, to cities, um, also could really um, even bring more resources to that. And then as Aaron mentioned, um, workforce development um, efforts are really important because even we all know the right thing to do and there can be money there, but there's no workforce. Sure. Critical (laughs) shortages. So there's ways to address that too that um, states can begin to implement with these funds. Yeah, that's great. You know, as you're talking, um, so many of these provisions directly tie into social determinants of health. And so really this is a big opportunity for our country um, at a very national level filtered through states and localities to invest in, in, in providing, closing those gaps in social determinants of health. Yeah. Yeah. And really at the heart of this issue brief and of what you just described, Maddie, um, this is really how state and local governments could strengthen the care infrastructure for our aging society that we've been hearing so much about um, in the news and that is being debated probably at this very moment. Um, One of those opportunities that you've mentioned is developing caregiving workforce recruitment and retention strategies, direct care workforce interventions. How might ARPA funds be used to do this and why would that be so important to do? So um, there's a number of ways, and again, sort of to what Maddie mentioned before, um, some are direct and, and some are a little bit more indirect. So one of the major areas that we've seen in almost every state spending plan has some kind of workforce initiative or, or multiple initiatives, um, because it, it's that's been a common issue. It doesn't matter your locality. It doesn't matter the type of provider. The the workforce um, challenge has been enormous. Um, So a lot of states are looking at using some of their enhanced dollars, whether that's things like um, recruitment and retention bonuses, if that's paying for additional training or tuition reimbursement. Um, There's sort of a a whole host 
of, of ways that states are trying to target with their Medicaid dollars. Additionally, um, there are uh, one of the specific call outs to the state and local funding uh, is the ability to uh, provide premium pay. So there was a lot of providers that have tried to, to do premium pay um, with other with other um, dollars that came out with CARES Act and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, there's specific allowances to, to do uh, uh, premium pay for essential workers. So that's something that, that can um, have a direct impact. Yeah. Also another area that that for people that did you know have been working in this field, um, one of the major challenges, especially earlier on in the pandemic, was childcare for people who were working. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was really challenging to, to have childcare, and if you've got children at, at home, um, it's hard to to work in someone else's home in a in some kind of other building. Sure. So ARPA had um, a, a host of funding for new subsidized childcare slots. There was $39 billion for childcare and development block grant program, and then um, grants to states to help uh, fund childcare. So not only are there um, efforts to support direct wages, but um, also sort of wraparound services that, uh, that people who are providing care to older adults really need to be able to, to do their job well and knowing that they're their family is taken care of when they're not at work. Yeah, gosh, let's hope that that is a trend that continues. Um, it's certainly not gonna go away when the pandemic goes away. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Another strategy that you call out in the issue brief um, and that you both touched on involves closing the digital divide for older people. And that's, that's one of ASA's uh, policy priorities too. Um, thinking about root causes of the digital divide, what interventions, what innovations are out there. How could ARPA dollars um, help close the digital divide? Oh, they can be used to expand um, broadband, Wi-Fi, telehealth. Um, 22 million older adults do not have access to broadband um, in their home. Um, I have a, a little cabin in um, rural West Virginia and, you know, you pay a fortune and you really don't get good access. Well, that's America, you know, and in cities, um, our, you know, low income housing um, properties don't have Wi-Fi. So um, that's how we were connected to doctors during the pandemic. And a lot of that telehealth, telemonitoring, um, telepsych services that can be incredibly important and helpful um, uh, just aren't accessible mm -hmm. uh, to older Americans. So this is really, really an exciting opportunity in ARPA to close that gap that I think can help not just seniors, but they're also the rest of the family, you know. Um, so that, that really is an important uh, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it seems like it's it's such a, the digital divide persists, but we're hearing so many different groups talking about how to close it and paying attention to it in new ways. Even um, internet providers themselves, broadband service providers, people issuing equipment, um, even nonprofit organizations are fundraising for um, iPads and getting them in the hands of people who need it, providing training for anyone who needs it. 
we're working really hard with um, tech companies to point out the digital divide in the technology design process. So what is the medical health um, the, the telemedicine encounter look like, and, and is it designed in a way that is accessible for people? So there's, there's a lot going on and it's, it's exciting to see a national yeah. investment. Yeah. You also pointed out, um, a, a quite important opportunity. Um, I thought this was maybe one of the most interesting to me, um, provisions in your issue brief, the opportunity to engage stakeholders in the design of stronger, more coordinated support systems in the community. Um, kind of going back to what we were just saying, we so often systems and programs and interventions are designed with folks who are going to use them absent from the table. Um, so what, what does ARPA say um, funding could be used for in that vein? So one of the things when, when we were writing the paper, we, we talked about, you know, there's been there's been a general movement of of the federal government and, and CMS and other other agencies of, of requiring some kind of a stakeholder engagement process. Um, and and sometimes those are are, you know, they started maybe more of a perfunctory sort of check the box kind of way, but we're we're really seeing um, much more robust and a and, uh, higher level of engagement um, around a lot of public spending. And we've certainly seen that, um, particularly in, in the process the last few months with the HCBS spending plans. Um, and one of the things that, that we were sort of looking at or pointing to is, is, is a unique opportunity is to look at states. One, one example that we talk about in the issue brief is California and their um, approach to having a master plan for aging, where they brought together you know, all sorts of different stakeholders and not just the usual suspects within aging, but sort of every type of, of piece of government and, and, and the, you know, including the private sector to really um, think more in depth about what do how do we use our, our um, federal dollars um, to be able to support people? Because the other, the other piece is probably well known within the aging community, but I think we're, we're trying to, to broaden the message is when we're talking about things for older adults, it doesn't just mean that it's impacting older adults. Right. You know, with, with family caregivers, with um, you know, sort of grandparents raising grandchildren that Maddie had mentioned earlier, it's dollars that affect older adults really hit a whole lifespan of people. So we, we were hoping that um, states take this opportunity with the variety of funding approaches to really um, um, begin to, to invest in a, in a robust stakeholder engagement process um, to, to get the best bang for the buck. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, we often talk about aging and older people, um, those of us who are not yet aging ourselves, um, talk about older people as some group, you know, some other, but what is, this, is, this, is, this is about us. This is, this is us, we are all aging. We age in communities and families. Um, so I, you're so right. It, it's, it's an exciting time to um, think about changing the narrative of aging and how ARPA can play a role in that too, engaging stakeholders, um, 
to design programs that work now and that will continue to work in the future as our society continues to age. It's, it's exciting. So what advice uh, would you give to ASA members? You know, our, our ASA's members are um, delivering services every day, advocating for older people every day, um, working with family caregivers every day. What advice would you give to them um, um, who might be interested in advocating for some of the innovative approaches that you've mentioned here in their own communities? Aaron, do you want me to start with this one? Sure. Oh, there's so much advice we could give. <laughs> but trying to distill this into three points. Um, building on what Aaron just said, I think, and thinking about, so I'm thinking about the community-based organizations, mm -hmm. housing organizations, senior, you know, social service providers. States really need their help to bring the consumer voice to the table in the planning, because we really do need to move beyond our siloed kind of services into real human solutions mm. to, you know, the problems that we all, um, or the opportunities that we all have, let's put that in the positive. <laughs> so I think for the community groups, you know, they really can really help states to see through human-centered design you know, what makes sense? What could be brought together? They know it better than the agency heads who know their own lines of work. Um, another thing they could do is to really champion solutions that build on and strengthen existing community-based infrastructure and services um, through partnerships with health and social services and housing. You know, we, you know, we don't want this amazing opportunity to end up with everyone just doing more of what they do in their own silos. Sure. But what we want is we need the, um, I think, community-based organizations voice in how really states can build on existing infrastructure, which oftentimes they're not expert in and may not be aware of. And then third, I think we really wanna ensure that states keep a laser focus on health and racial equity mm -hmm. by establishing quality and impact goals, um, not just like in aggregate, like overall we'll reduce, you know, hospital readmissions, blah, 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 but really for racial and ethnic and geographically isolated uh, communities um, that we're achieving um, really a better, um, really just better results for families that need it the most. So those would be three things. I'm sure Aaron has other things to add, but those three things really, I think are, would be wonderful to see. Yeah. Aaron. And I would say um, one of the, the messages that I think people need to hear is it's not too late. So, you know, ARPA passed earlier in the year, there's been a lot of news about, you know, the spending plans and how states are starting to allocate their dollars. Um, but the, the timing on a lot of these funds are, are several years out, you know, so they last for several years. So even if you're seeing initial plans, if your legislature or your state agencies are saying, here's what we intend to do it's likely that that isn't accounting for all of the dollars. And also plans are, are, are sort of 
starting to get into more of a finalized shape, mm -hmm. but there is years worth of implementation that you still have the opportunity to participate in shape. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important that even if people are, are sort of coming to this now and saying, oh, you know, we've already heard what our state's going to do, our county's going to do, our Medicaid agencies, our housing agencies, it's, you haven't missed the boat yet. It's, it's not too late. And this is going to be a multi-year process. Um, so you want to make sure, you know, that you stay as an engaged stakeholder um, with, with whatever and hopefully multiple parts of, of your local infrastructure that, that is touching um, older adults and, and working within the, the ARPA opportunities. Yeah, that's great advice. Is it um, state Medicaid agencies that are in charge of the spending plans? Yes, so specific to the HCBS spending plans, those are coming from the Medicaid agencies. Got it. And when you mentioned the funds uh, being channeled through the Older Americans Act, do, I presume state units on aging are involved in this too in some way. Yep. So those are all um, places where folks can start reaching out to, looking on websites um, if you have uh, if you want to advocate, if you want to learn, if you want to get involved, those are good starting points, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, state websites are great. And, and for people who are trying to, to, you know, maybe take a broader approach, um, advancing states, and they've been working with um, NADSEs um, as well in the DD side, have, have done a phenomenal job of uh, posting sort of a, you know, 50 state crosswalk of, you know, where they're seeing similarities. So that's a great uh, starting place for, for uh, you know, cross-state examination. But if you're, you know, interested in your own area, certainly go to your state's website. There's, most states are being really, really good about a lot of public information in this area. That's great news. Yep, and we will post the links to some of those uh, resources you just mentioned on the episode notes. And with that, Thank you so much, Maddie and Aaron, for joining me today and for joining the ASA community on Leverage. Thanks, Thank you. Leanne. Leanne.